Welcome to the Diversity Hygiene Academy podcast series. This is podcast number four on blood and body spills. My name is Van Walter and I'm the host today. Today we have with us Carol Calabrese. As a part of the Diversity Hygiene Academy, we'll have some slides on the topic, a video recording, an audio recording, and also a quick narrative on the content. So there are many tools for you to use. So feel free to sit back, listen, and learn. A podcast about cleaning? Diversity Hygiene Academy podcast series. Well, thanks for joining us today, Carol. We appreciate your time. Thanks, Ben. Appreciate being here. Yeah, so let's just jump right into it. And today we're talking about uh, blood spills and bloodborne pathogens. We're, we're doing another podcast in this series that is specific to regulating bodies. And we have uh, a lot of information in, the, in that podcast that's, that covers, you know, WHO, CDC, EPA, and all these other governing bodies. But, but which one specifically addresses, uh, you know, blood and body spills? Which one should we look to? That's, that's a great question, Dan. The Occupational Safety and Health Administration, Administration, also known as OSHA, is the branch of the federal government that regulates the blood and body fluid uh, ruling. And again, it's important for re- people to remember that this is the law. Um, with this ruling, each employer has to assess the risk of exposure by job function. The employer has to have a plan for how to protect their employees and what is the process if there's an exposure on the job. And they have to do an assessment of the employee and initiate treatment based on the exposure risk. So, for example, when we talked about the modes of transmission, if in your role um, you got stuck by a needle, your employer, and you report that to your supervisor, ASAP, they need to initiate steps to have you evaluated and also evaluate that risk. They will also evaluate whether or not you are wearing your personal protective equipment. Okay, good. So how or why did the term bloodborne pathogens come about? Well, you know, Van, this goes back um, to the mid to late 1980s during the pandemic epidemic of HIV, also known as human immunodeficiency virus. However, the bloodborne pathogen ruling was actually passed into law in December of 1991. It evolved from bloodborne pathogens to what is currently called universal precautions. And then it went to the uh, standard precautions. How I translate bloodborne pathogens ruling, and you could hear this as bloodborne pathogens, universal precautions, or standard precautions. To me, what it means is if you encounter fluids in the course of your work and it's moist and it's wet and it doesn't belong to you, you need to utilize personal protective equipment to clean it up. Depending on the size of the 
spill, you need to determine if you need to wear a gown, eye protection, or a face mask, but you always, always, always need to wear gloves. So you mentioned you mentioned the word pathogens, and uh, just curious, what are the specific pathogens that are of consideration uh, when we're talking about bloodborne, the bloodborne pathogen ruling? So which ones does it specifically address? So the ruling actually is very specific to HIV, again, that human immunodeficiency virus, the hepatitis B virus, as well as hepatitis C virus. All three of these are enveloped viruses, which means that they are easy to kill with disinfectants. It's important to remember that exposure to blood or what we call other potentially infectious material also known as OPIM, in the workplace, that's to be reported immediately to your supervisor. Good to know. So what, I, I guess that leads me to the next question, which is, you know, how can, how can I become infected or how can somebody become infected with a bloodborne pathogen? The bloodborne pathogen ruling really specifically addresses these modes of transmission needle stick, which you might encounter in your day-to-day uh, -day job, depending on um, where you work. Blood transfusions, although, you know, screening of blood has been performed as well as screening of individuals donating blood. Sexual transmission, which, yeah, you shouldn't be doing on the job. Um, IV drug abuse and unprotected exposure to blood and other potentially infectious material. Now, keep in mind the risk with urine, saliva, and feces is relatively low unless they had a vast amount of blood in those particular secretions and excretions. You're not likely to encounter spinal fluid However, semen is, is um, the risk with semen is pretty high. So that's why it, uh, sexual transmission is also very, you know, a key mode of transmission. Good base of information there. We've learned a little bit of, about, um, you know, the different modes of transmissions and the governing bodies. But now I, I'd like to know a little bit about how I can, how I can protect myself, what I can do to you know, uh, keep myself out of risk here. It, it's really important. Um, and NIOSH, which is a body of the government that does uh, sort of like a sister branch to, to OSHA. And we will talk more about what their responsibilities are uh, in the regulating bodies of uh, branches of the government in the upcoming podcast. Anyways, your employer needs to look at what's called hierarchy of controls. So, and actually personal protective equipment, also known as PPE, is the least effective. You, they really need to start at the top and look at how do I eliminate the risk for my employees? And then it moves down to how do they replace the hazard they look at engineering controls, such as 
sharps boxes uh, for the needles. Where are those placed? And administrative controls uh, change the way people work. So when this all evolved, assessments were going on looking at the workflow process. And to that order, you have to have PPE in place. And that's going to vary based on what your work environment is. So again, you need to uh, determine or your employer needs to determine what the level of risks are and provide the protective barriers for you. One major way you can be protective, protected in the workplace is through taking the hepatitis B vaccine. This particular vaccine has great efficacy. It's a series of three shots given over a period of six months. And generally, they always like to do a blood test after to make sure that you have developed immunity against the hepatitis B vaccine. This is one vaccine that has really demonstrated good effectiveness. Yeah, you know, looking at that hierarchy, that's very interesting because I think a lot of us just look at that last line of defense and not really what needs to go into um, a, a real proper plan and, and reducing or eliminating the risk itself. So that's very interesting. Thanks for that, Carol. So, so uh, you know, getting into what our employers need to do. So what is the minimal training requirement for bloodborne pathogens? And what should, you know, kind of what, what should a frontline cleaner or a janitor receive or, or a housekeeper receive in training in this area? Yes, training of the employees is essential. So every time you start a new job, you're going to get an orientation information to the bloodborne pathogen ruling. This is an expectation of OSHA. This will cover standard precautions in the workplace, what engineering controls uh, are used in that particular workplace, uh, how do they define safe work practices, and they'll need to educate you where personal protective equipment is located within your workspace. And then also follow up with how to clean and disinfect if there is an exposure or uh, blood and body spill. And communicate, again, that communication is really necessary. So if you were to have an exposure at work, the first thing that you should do immediately is wash that. If it's a blood splash to the eye, then you are going to flush your, your eye with, uh, with uh, cool water. And then you're going to notify your employee that you, your supervisor or your somebody else that you had that exposure. And an incident report will need to be filed. And then they're going to refer you to uh, occupational health, whomever does that for your employer, as to what the next steps would be um, related to that particular incident, because they will need to determine the significance of that exposure. So Carol, can you tell us now a little bit more about specifically some, some information about products and procedures as it relates to uh, blood and body spills, and, and, and especially in hard services versus carpeting? 
Sure, uh, Van. So no matter uh, where the spill is, you need to make sure you have all your equipment available. Make sure that you're performing hand hygiene before you put on your PPE. And that blood spill needs to be uh, cleaned first before you can apply any type of disinfectant on a hard surface. With carpeting, it becomes a little more difficult because you need to, you know, blot the, the blood spill up or the body fluid spill up. And then before you can start the uh, process of cleaning the carpeting, it becomes a little more difficult. Uh, in some buildings, they put in carpet squares. So many times what they'll do is remove the particular squares of carpet and just replace them with new. But if you don't have that option, you can get into um, cleaning your carpets with a piece of equipment that will help extract that um, blood and body, uh, the body fluids out of the carpeting. There's very specific uh, processes. You should consult with your uh, employer and you could also consult with a diversity sales executive. Okay, great. What about, uh, you know, I, I get a lot of questions on, uh, can you disinfect the carpet? And can, in short, Carol, can you truly disinfect the carpet? No, you can't because of the material that carpeting is made out of. So it's very difficult to, you know, do that. We, we can't say you can disinfect carpeting. Okay, Great. So you've given us a lot of information today, a lot of great information. Um, I guess if you could just just take a moment and give us some some key bullets or some key information for us to remember. I can't emphasize enough the importance of wearing personal protective equipment, PPE, uh, that is supplied by your employer. And you need to wear that whenever you think you're at risk. So again, if you see uh, blood or body fluid spill, or even a fluid that you have no idea what it is, protect yourself, put on PPE. Take that hepatitis B vaccine. I'll tell you, I'm afraid of shots just as much as anybody else. I can give them, but I can't take them. Um, and there's real good efficacy with that. So make sure you take that. And remember that if for some reason you feel that your employer is not providing you with the necessary personal protective equipment or they haven't looked at the processes to protect you from exposure, OSHA is the governing body that you would report that workplace hazard to. Outstanding. Thanks. Thanks for the information, Carolyn. Thanks for your time and expertise. We really appreciate you sharing that with us today. My pleasure, Van.